Hi everyone, I'm Pankaj Mishra and you are listening to the Outliers podcast. It's a podcast, a series of conversations with outliers. Welcome to this special series of conversations to understand how Notion works. I'm really thrilled to be joined by Camille, who heads marketing at Notion and is someone who has a tough job to do. Camille, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Uh, let's start from the start. Give me a sense of uh, how, why, and when you joined Notion. Uh, it would be good to start from there. Definitely. So I joined at an interesting time. It was last January 2019, and the team at that time was just 10 people. And actually, David, uh, who is also a part of this series, joined right before me. And I was the first marketer, and uh, I was joining a team almost entirely of designers, product people, engineers, and then a couple of the community support folks. But there was nobody who had done anything very similar to what it was that I was mandated to do at the time. So uh, I think I brought a different perspective to things and also just had a lot of learning to do about what the brand already stood for since it was already so beautiful and so well-formed. But it's been an interesting journey to go from the only marketer on a team of 11 to the leader of a team of seven now in marketing on a team of around 50 before you joined Notion, uh, I'm sure, uh, I don't know if, if the brand touched you in any way or if you were familiar with uh, Notion. So, but how was it for you uh, before and after, uh, you know, your perception of, of the brand Notion or the product Notion? I had kind of an interesting perspective on Notion because I was coming from working at a venture capital firm where I had been running marketing and content and Incidentally, I had had the opportunity to meet Ivan Zhao, who is our co-founder and CEO, at the time that my venture capital firm had invested in Notion around 2014, I think it probably was. So I had actually been familiar with Notion and its entire journey and with Ivan and who he was and the way he approached things for over five years by the time I decided to join Notion myself. And I had been using the product because everybody at my VC firm was very enthusiastic about it. And as soon as I heard about it, I wanted to use it for my personal notes and my task management. And so I was an enthusiastic user by the time I got this job and arrived on my first day. But I have to tell you that as soon as I got into the role and started speaking to users and meeting with our engineers and understanding the full breadth of what this product can do, And exactly how horizontal it is, I felt like an amateur. Like I had barely scratched the surface of what Notion was capable of because I was mostly just relegating myself to writing and bullet points and checkboxes. But when you introduce so much of the other content that you can put into the app, uh, you can build really sophisticated workflows that now I feel fairly fluent in. But at the time, I had barely glimpsed uh, the potential for what Notion could do. Um, so I've grown a lot, not just as a marketer, but as a user of the product too. <laughs> wow. Okay. So this, this is like a great context, uh, you know, a launch pad for us to now go deeper into how marketing works at Notion. For a product like Notion, uh, can you take me through that journey in terms of uh, 
setting the building blocks for marketing, the top challenges, uh, you know, everything. I think that the major challenge behind marketing at Notion is just that the product does so much uh, and can do it for so many people. And people love to use it for many, many different things that uh, the ability to customize the app uh, makes possible. And I, I can't convey how wild this is. And uh, we've seen the app used for everything from, of course, teamwork in all the various ways that teamwork manifests across the professional landscape to uh, people who run their Dungeons and Dragons games on Notion, people who have categorized and collected all of their board games uh, in Notion, um, people who have written very thorough guides to how to take care of indoor plants or written a first book or anything like that. Um, there are as many use cases of Notion as there are people because it is so wildly customizable and it is an interface that essentially lets you build whatever it is that you have in mind. So the big challenge for being a marketer is how do you tell a coherent story given that there's all of that possibility? How can you tell people crisply what Notion is, who it is for, what problems it solves? Um, in a way that is very direct and easily recognizable and makes them feel capable to go forth and do that themselves. So hmm. I think as the first marketer on the team and now someone who gets to work with a whole remarkable team of people who are trying to solve this problem, uh, the biggest things for us have been segmenting our user base based on uh, various demographic data, what it is that they do for work, where it is that they are coming from, uh, and trying to personalize our marketing messaging as much as possible to that segmentation. Um, and on top of that, then kind of layering on what our top use cases for the product are. And roughly, we define those use cases as um, note-taking, obviously. I think that's the one that most people come into Notion through. Wiki and uh, knowledge management. So helping teams all stay on the same page by helping them centralize all of their information. And then thirdly, project management, task management, and building workflows that help you keep track of everything that you're trying to get done. So we layered all of those use cases on top of these personas. And suddenly the task of marketing both gets very complex because you want to tell a great story about each use case for each type of person. Um, yes. But it also does kind of give you a roadmap for how you want to approach marketing as a function. Great. I do think that there's also um, the challenge that Notion is both a consumer product. It's something that is much beloved, much embraced by you know millions of people around the world as an individual tool that they've used for self-expression and to organize a lot of important things in their lives. And they feel, and this is one of the reasons that I was so excited to join this company, honestly, is that they feel so emotionally connected to the brand and to what this product is able to do for them. Um, and we really want to celebrate that and make them uh, feel inspired about all the other things that they could possibly do. And we want to introduce them to each other and what each other is building and doing uh, and build a really vibrant community that is going to sustain like that level of innovation and interest over time and grow with us. Uh, and then we're also a B2B company that is very focused on building a large enterprise brand that wants to serve you know, other big brands. Um, we want to be able to uh, be your wiki or knowledge base or your project management system for 2,000 people and more, um, eventually 10,000 people um, inside of large companies. And we are very purposely building the software to meet those requirements and support 
those use cases. Uh, so having that sort of divergent road where you have this um, huge, wildly positive, um, really active B2C community, and then also being able to tell stories to team users and enterprise users um, who maybe have not yet had the benefit of discovering something through um, community like that. So um, it's two very different stories to tell with a lot of overlap in between. And we try to figure out where that overlap begins and ends, uh, what marketing materials we can produce that are going to have the biggest impact on the most people. Um, but I will say that that is, that is something that is constantly top of mind for me and the team. That's quite a challenge, right? Uh, for, for many great products, especially the ones who are at the intersection of both B2B and consumer uh, B2C products, you know, I want to understand from you, like uh, most of the times when people talk of a product, they're talking of, okay, so this is the the audience, right? This is the user. When you have these two very different set of users or, or you know, buyers or customers, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the marketing challenge uh, or communicating uh, who the product exists for? Or I'm overthinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy to, to talk through that a little bit. I mean, the product, we want it to exist for all people. Truly, if you are to talk to the co-founders, which I know you will speak to Ivan, um, our goal is to make this one of the most ubiquitous pieces of software on the planet. We want it to be useful for every single person to solve problems that are important to them. Uh, we want them to feel like they can use Notion as a flexible canvas to build the tools that are going to be relevant to their lives. Um, and without, you know, needing to know how to code or needing to have traditional skills for you know, creating tools with computers. Um, we want to unlock all that potential and the economic uh, opportunity that comes with it. So when you ask like who Notion is for, we will say everybody. <laughs> at the same time, we are at the start of this journey. And uh, I think that a lot of marketing success starts with really narrow focus, to be honest with you. And so we have had to pick and choose which segments of our of our user base we want to tell stories to with the understanding that will expand over time. Um, but definitely starting with people who the product tends to click with, who it, it's immediately useful for both on the team side and on the personal use side. One thing that's been really surprising to me though, when you talk about the disparity between these two audiences is that it's actually not as big as one might think. Um, when mm -hmm. I first stepped into the role, I was, um, candidly daunted about how I was going to tell two pretty different narratives. Uh, but then once I got into it, a few realizations clicked for me. The first was that there is a massive trend underway right now, especially in the tech sector, but I think in several others um, that I roughly call the consumerization of enterprise. Um, and it's a well-known trend. I didn't coin that term or anything. Um, it's just how I refer to it when we think about our strategy, uh, which is that individuals inside of companies have more power than they ever have before to choose their own tools and influence the leadership about what type of tool stacks they want to use. So we're seeing more than we have at any point in history, people saying, you know, I am going to use Figma. I am not going to use Sketch. Uh, I'm going to use Notion. I'm not going to use Google Docs. And even if you tell me that the policy of this company is that we're all going to use Microsoft suite products. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to continue to use it on the side. 
And I think that this is something that we have seen as a slow burn, kind of starting with Dropbox in the last decade, um, where people just love this tool so much that they they want to use it in their personal lives and then bring it to work with them. Um, and that's something that we are definitely observing. And so it means that as a marketer, you can actually use more of the tools from your consumer toolbox in order to appeal to a B2B audience. And some of those tools might be storytelling around other customers who have done similar things that maybe prospective customers will want to do with your tool. Um, you can appeal to them through social media in a way that only really consumer products were able to do before um, and actually have an impact on company buying patterns. Um, the other big trend that I'll say that I see is, um, and maybe it's not even a trend, I think it might just be a human truth that we are suddenly discovering or stumbling upon, is that a lot of these buyers within even the largest enterprise companies are still human beings who interact the way that other human beings do. And so they don't need dry one pagers. They don't only read trade publications designed for CIOs. They are out there interacting with other media the same way that we all are. They are also uh, swayed by emotional appeals and inspired uh, when you are able to provide them with content that is genuinely inspiring. Uh, so I think that We've been really pleasantly surprised and crafted our strategy largely around uh, bringing a lot of what we've seen succeed in consumer marketing into the B2B space. Camille, the other thing I want to understand is for a product that has such a deep uh, emotional connect with its users, uh, very strong connects, you know, everyone I talk to, uh, you know, or, or most of the users, they are like, they swear by it, right? I mean, they are like uh, a very, very strong, use, you know, emotional connect they are having with the product. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the challenge for a marketeer or, or in marketing when you are trying to position or market a product like this where there are strong emotions and they can go either way? So it, in that, it, it becomes, uh, you know, very touchy at times. So for a product like this, how do you balance it or how do you face or manage, uh, you know, strong criticism also, which can come uh, your way? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because so many of the people who are our most passionate users across all of these different forums, and we're really lucky to have really vibrant communities across many different channels. Uh, Reddit, for instance, is really robust for us. Um, we have Slack communities that are all around Notion and using Notion. Uh, we have Facebook groups, etc. So there's a lot of different forums for people to be having these conversations. And every single one of these forums has a collection of people that is just mad passionate about this tool. And it's always those people who fit that description that will also go to the mat with you and be really critical or give you really um, just, you know, unvarnished constructive feedback about features they wish they were seeing, the speed of uh, shipping and implementation, um, questions around how the company operates. And it's interesting because we know that they are de that deeply engaged because they want us to get better because they, they love the product that we are making. And so keeping that motivation in mind has been so critical as we do approach these types of conversations uh, that 
most of them are very well intentioned the way that giving feedback to a colleague is mostly well intentioned where you legitimately want that person to succeed in a different way or improve in a way that you think is going to help them over the long term and that's the way we try to frame the feedback that we receive from the community in that way and i think it has really um molded our approach in a way that's been very effective there's two different levers that I think have allowed Notion to sustain this level of sort of emotional connection with its user base. The first is uh, that community support has been prioritized from the very beginning. And maybe you heard about this from David, but literally when I arrived as employee number 11, nearly half the team was already community support folks who were spending their days in constant conversation with users who were writing in through our community support email channel, um, clicking the help option in the app, uh, tweeting at us. And there was high emphasis placed on not just responding, reading and responding to each of those conversations, but very deeply understanding the underlying motivations and wants um, and frankly, like the the desires and hopes of the people who were writing. Um, And we even to this day now have a conception of a lot of the folks on community support that they really double as UX researchers where they are uh, not just responding to people who are, you know, dealing with a bug or having a bad day with the app. Um, but they are trying to figure out like why feature requests are being requested, what it is that people want to be doing with the app that they can't currently do. Um, really, really deep user insights that, have been instrumental in shaping our roadmap. Um, so I think uh, placing that much emphasis from the very beginning, and this really emanates from Ivan and Simon, the co-founders, um, on these like deep, caring conversations. And um, since then, like really prioritizing scaling that feeling, that's been a huge one for uh, just continuing to earn on a daily basis the love that people feel for the app. And then the second lever um, is our our community, um, which is led by my super talented colleague, Ben Lang. Um, And we use the word community kind of as a wrapper for uh, all the people who are speaking in these forums. Uh, We have an ambassador program, which is made up of a subset of these folks who are power users and big fans um, who want to create content on our behalf. Um, to demonstrate the power of Notion, who want to host events, both virtual and when we were able to meet in person, in person. Uh, they create templates. They they really are dedicated almost in a way that somebody who made this a job would be to helping us spread the message and tell our story. Um, and what's been interesting about fostering that and really investing a lot of resources in that is when we spot criticism out there in the world, More often than not, one of our community members has already replied and said something to the effect of, oh, I know because I read this other thing that this feature is coming. Don't worry. Here's what's going to happen with this. Or you can assume that the company is already thinking about this. Um, They jump in to our defense in a lot of these conversations or to provide additional context or... um, just in general, radiate a lot of positivity about their own experience. And we've been so grateful because there is nothing that is more compelling or persuasive to a brand new user than an existing user who has already had such a wonderful time 
and been able to achieve something so important to them. So I think that those are the two things that I'm deeply grateful um, for and that the DNA for existed, I think, long before I joined. Wow. <laughs> wow, really. I mean, you know, you can't ask for a better tool or approach than your own community doing this. Amazing. Really awesome. Yeah. And it's something that we we just think so carefully about. How do we continue to tend to that so that they still feel autonomous and like this is an organic you know, thing that they are involved with. We don't want to have a heavy hand in it. We want these conversations to take place without us. But we also want to provide the people who do want a closer relationship with us that ability and make them feel really supported. Uh, Camille, the other thing is the real test of community or community love is uh, when actually product marketers and and founders have to deal with rogue communities you know or not trolls uh, but we have seen that in many enterprise products over years as they grow uh, their communities and their sub communities now you did touch upon uh, you know listening you you touched upon handling uh, criticism in that sense but in your experience what are the, the do's and don'ts for a marketer of a product like notion uh, when it comes to handling, uh, you know, highly critical users or communities, uh, maybe not now, but as you go forward in your journey, uh, I'm sure growth bring, brings its own challenges. Yeah, I think it's a it's a tough thing to wrap one's head around. Um, and I, I am speaking now from, you know, having the benefit of having a pretty purely positive experience with the Notion global community. So I want to put that into context for your listeners. Um, But the times when I have sort of interacted with people who've been upset or um, had different expectations for us or were being very vocal about something that they were disappointed in, uh, the number one thing, and this is not going to be at all revolutionary, so I hope people don't roll their eyes when they hear it, but the number one thing is to just like listen and not interject, to almost um, make it a rule for yourself that you are not going to jump in prematurely and interrupt their train of thought, even if you find what they're saying to be wrong or objectionable. You just want to hear them out. So many people, I think, um, when they are in the state of mind to share that type of feedback, are really motivated by being heard and seen uh, and making sure that the person on the other end um, is even if they are not powerful enough to act on that feedback, taking it back to people in a way that might be integrated in sort of the macro decision-making of the organization. So, so much of the conversation that we've encountered like this, we've just taken the position of being extremely good listeners. Um, And also, again, like not approaching this in a heavy handed way, Um, like not assuming the worst Motivation of people obviously is very important. Uh, seeing how other community members may be responding to the feedback um, and how many people might be impacted by what this person has to say or might be impacted by the issue and have not yet spoken up. Um, and that all informs our decision making about how we do respond. Um, but the number one thing I think is is listening. And then followed by number two, which is um, a compassionate approach that assumes the best. Um, And I think most people don't actually 
get met with those two things when when they have shared this type of feedback with a brand or even with another human being. So um, it's surprising what a difference it can make. No, indeed, uh, you know, and, and, and very well said, I mean, old rules, but they continue to be so relevant. Uh, yeah. But I think as you flagged, uh, I think it's also about executing them, which, which is where the real challenge is. Definitely. And I think that a lot of brands have, you know, scale to grapple with when it comes to this, where a lot of the ways that community response happens ends up being automated. And, you know, the actual humans get edited out of edited out of it over time. And I, I urge all companies or founders who are listening to this to hold on to a more curated human approach to your interactions with users for as long as you humanly can. And even when you do start needing to automate certain aspects of it, be really considerate about how you infuse all of that messaging with a much more human voice uh, and the ability for somebody to actually interact with a real human at the end of the journey. This is really amazing insight, Camille. I mean, what you're saying is, and a, a lot of companies that are fast growing are beginning to use automation to meet uh, the demands of their scale and complexity. But what you are saying is stay humane as far as you can. And perhaps, uh, and I want to learn this from you, how can you ensure that the, you know, the, the algorithms are humane enough? Uh, because, because end of the day, uh, even when people talk of artificial intelligence, it is about mimicking uh, human mind. So, as someone who's been in marketing, uh, do you think there is perhaps more that could be done? Yeah, again, I, I'm speaking sort of from a vantage point that is pre this challenge. <laughs> so ask me again, maybe in five years, and I'll have something different to say. But at this point in time, and having observed a lot of startups go through hyper growth, um, I think that a lot of the algorithms or systems that companies end up coming up with still do reflect so much of what their values were before those systems were implemented. So first I would say, make sure that you have value systems that you are proud of. And when you were using human beings to answer all of these, you know, customer queries or, um, you know, tend to certain aspects of your community, um, what were the things that made those interactions successful? What were those things that um, really made a difference or made users feel as though you went above and beyond? And I would say, like, go through the exercise of inventorying those things, classifying those things, and then making sure that they do not get lost when you switch over to um, an increasingly automated approach. Really well said. On a more final note, uh the purpose of marketing itself across different life stages of a startup, you know, every function for that matter, you know, it keeps evolving. Now, can you spend a little time talking about the first principles, for example, that define marketing at Notion and, and, and then also talk a little bit about the purpose of marketing itself? Uh, a lot of companies talk about growth marketing or growth hacking. Mm -hmm. So, 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 what is the purpose of marketing? And and the first uh, question is is more about how does it change across different life stages of of notion, and what are the first principles guiding it? Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to actually start with the second question first. 
Um, I think that the purpose of marketing in so many ways is to allow an individual, even when you are trying to sell something to a team, it is still changing the mind of an individual. So allowing an individual to feel the way they want to feel about themselves. That is something that I've come to over a lot of years of observing different marketing strategies and what has worked and what hasn't. And I think the essence really is um, telling a story. That is the first principle, telling a story uh, that helps somebody understand that your product, your service, your organization is going to help them achieve something that they've wanted to for a very long time, that is going to solve a pain point that they feel very deeply. But both of those things roll up to this concept of helping somebody feel the way that they want to feel about themselves. So that's something that I uh, personally, I don't know if I've enshrined that for the marketing team at large, but that's something that I think about a lot whenever I'm making decisions. Um, and so if I apply this or look through this lens at Notion's marketing strategy, um, the pillars of this are storytelling and distribution. Um, so how do we tell a story that is going to make somebody understand the problem that Notion is going to help them solve, uh, understand how Notion is going to help them solve that problem, and make sure that they are very capable at solving that problem themselves using Notion. So those are the three things that we want people to be able to walk away with, having interacted with our marketing materials uh, and the stories that we tell. And so stuff that helps with this, if you're looking for specific assets are, um, you know, blog posts that are mostly about the problem space that you're solving or that your product is solving, not even about your product itself, but just what are the contours and the costs of the problem that you are you are aimed at. Um, customer stories, which basically demonstrate here's how Notion solves your problem. You are like us. You are, we are a brand that you are admire. Here is what we are doing with the product. Here is what you could be doing with the product. Um, and then lastly, the making your audience feel very capable of using your product to, in fact, achieve their goals. Uh, that's a lot of user education. And that's, I think, a variety of storytelling that goes into more depth and detail about exactly what tactics somebody can use in your in your product to uh, make progress that's meaningful to them. So those are sort of some examples of, of the storytelling side of things. And then the distribution side, that's where I think a lot of the growth stuff that has become much more prominent over the last few years comes in, uh, where you're taking the stories that you have now developed and you are figuring out how to meet your audience where they are and uh, customize each of these messages to the specific people that you are talking to or trying to reach. So um I think most companies, when it comes to stages of development, need to start with the storytelling acumen and then essentially hook that up to the piping of distribution uh, in a way that is very smart and very personalized in its approach to your your greater audience. Wow. Again, very well articulated, Camille. And I think, uh, you know, looking back, uh, you know, you you worked at First Round Capital, right? And... They're such a great brand when it comes to storytelling and everybody talks about them. Uh, so, so there is a lot from that playbook as well, right? Uh, on a final note, if you were to you know, talk a little bit about the biggest lessons uh, from there, uh, because it, it's a great brand uh, that tells mm-hmm. uh, amazing stories, uh, what would be 
some of the top learnings? Yeah, I mean, I had such an uh, amazing time at first round. It's really hard for me to express how much meaning that role had for me in my life. I would say that that's in a lot of ways where my current professional self began. Um, and it gave me the benefit of observing such a huge variety of companies at all different stages, grappling with uh, different shapes of the same challenges. So I got to learn a lot in a very compressed amount of time. And my role at first round was started with uh, content and storytelling very purely. And a lot of my lessons come from that side of things. Uh, and then it moved into more marketing for the firm itself. But um, just a couple of the, the major things that I learned there, the first being that understanding your audience in like an incredibly deep way, in a way that is so thorough that you feel like you could visualize the person who is most emblematic of your audience when asked uh, <laughs> and talk about their favorite things and where they live and what matters to them and, you know, what it is that they're aspiring toward. Like you really need to know your audience on like the, the deepest human level. Um, and the reason that that was so important at first round was just understanding what type of writing was actually going to meet this very brilliant, very ambitious audience and teach them something that they had not yet learned, which is a huge challenge, and constantly present them with new thinking. Um, so it was like half writing and research and then half liter constant new literary review of what is it that people in this audience of startup entrepreneurs actually already know? And therefore, what is new thinking that I can present to them that they're actually going to be interested in? So um, a story that I tell often is that at, my, at the very beginning of that role, I talked to a lot of founders just about what it was that they felt like was missing from just their education uh, that allowed them to, to succeed as a startup founder. And so many of them said, you know, I took all these classes, I have all these degrees. I worked at Google for X number of years, um, but I have this really specific challenge around go to market. And I really wish that I could have coffee with Stuart Butterfield and ask him this question um, <laughs> and have him just answer me over coffee. Um, and unfortunately, I know that Stuart probably does hope and wish that he could have all of those conversations because he's such a generous spirit, but he can't. And so our goal at first round um, that I executed on was to scale that type of coffee conversation with brilliant operators in a way that could be really, really tactical and helpful for a much broader audience. Um, and I think that first round's commitment to knowing its audience so deeply is what unlocked that for us. Um, the other big learning that I'll share um, is just honestly how to interview people. And I'd say that that actually extends beyond the interview format, but how to have conversations that actually surface meaningful information. Um, and something that I, I thought I had learned as a journalist in the earliest part of my career, but I think it went much deeper at first round when I was trying to really surface uh, very, very actionable insights um, down to like, well, what interview questions do you actually ask this person? Or what is the profile of the product manager that you want for this type of role? Like it was very, very specific. Um, and I think I learned to have interview based conversations um, that not only got people talking, but got them to be very specific about ideas 
um, and then give me examples that would help anchor those learnings in my mind and the mind of readers. Um, and that's come in real handy for me in a lot of different um, aspects of life, not just interviewing and writing. That, that's brilliant. And, and you know, you the bonus insights here from, from uh, first round are, are really, really helpful, Kevin. And I think what you said about uh, interviewing and conversations, I think I haven't been to a journalism school, but that's essentially what's, storytelling it so yeah i mean very essential lessons yeah um i'm i'm just so grateful for that experience it it taught me almost all of the important things that i still know <laughs> nice great having this conversation with you and uh, you know i look forward to wrapping up this series of conversation it's amazing uh, to learn and listen firsthand from people who are shaping notion so please, uh, you know, stay well and Godspeed with everything that you are doing. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope that this is helpful for your audience.